we used to be much harder to kill because we had a bigger stress bucket and we had more capacity for stress, both mentally and physically. And so now, because we're temperature controlled every day, because we eat all day every day, because we can't handle stress as well, because we're distracted with our phones, that we're easier to kill. Welcome to the Seamland Podcast. My name is Seam Lund, and today our guest is Sean Wells. Sean is an author, speaker, and nutritional biochemist who calls himself the ingredientologist. He has formulated over 500 supplements, foods, beverages, and cosmeceuticals. His new book, The Energy Formula, talks about optimizing mitochondrial health and energy levels. This episode is brought to you by the Metabolic Autophagy Masterclass. It's the most comprehensive and in-depth program about applying the benefits of intermittent fasting and metabolic flexibility for both longevity and body composition. You get access to over 13 hours of video content about the science of autophagy, as well as a four-week meal plan and workout routine with precise macros and food recommendations. Head over to seamlund.com forward slash masterclass in one word and use the code POD20 for a sweet 20% discount. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, glad to speak with you. And uh, you have like a very interesting, let's say, profession or uh, name for your profession. Uh, you, you call yourself like the ingredient, ingredientologist, <laughs> which is a mouthful. But uh, like, how, how would you describe it? And what is, what is it? Yeah, that's a, that's a word I came up with for myself. I've been called the world's greatest formulator in the industry. I didn't give myself that name uh, because I formulated about 500 supplements in the industry. But lately, I've been working on patenting ingredients. I've patented T-Cream and Dynamine that are very popular ingredients in about 700 pre-workout energy drink fat burners. Uh, I have about 15 ingredients that are out there like dihydroberberine, Elbeva, um, we can get into several of them. And obviously there's a number of ingredients that are, uh, I can't speak about yet that are being studied, but I'm an ingredient guy and, and I'm a scientist of ingredients. I'm a dietitian, I'm a biochemist. Um, I'm ec uh, excellent with intellectual property. So I thought ingredientologist, the scientist of ingredients was a, was a perfect name for me. Mm. Yeah, that's a really uh, fascinating field. I would imagine that you're kind of uh, looking at the kind of the real details about all the supplements. And uh, I would imagine, yeah, like you do um, have a, like a very, let's say, more uh, nuanced perspective on uh, all the supplements and uh, these different products than the average person. Like the average person just, you know, looks at it and uh, thinks that it's, you know, they don't really, they just, they don't go into the details and uh, they just barely scratch the surface of uh, whatever supplement they may be taking. Exactly, exactly. And there's there's so much uh, that's frustrating in the industry as far as uh, bad players. And that's something that I like to bring light to. And I just put out my book, The Energy Formula, that, that launched about two weeks ago. And it's a bestseller. And, and that's a lot of what I get in, into in the book is ways to understand what's a good supplement and not a good supplement. Mm -hmm. What is maybe some some brief overview about uh, what would be like some good uh, things to remember uh, for people who are uh, looking at a particular supplement? Proprietary blends uh, would be one of the first things. Uh, I am not a big fan of proprietary blends. You'll hear, and that's like when you have like 10 ingredients, let's say, and then it's just list the dose right. of that blend. Mm -hmm. uh, I like full transparency to have like each ingredient listed as it's standardized with its, you know, what it's standardized to, the active it's standardized to, 
the genus and species of that plant, uh, the plant part, like if it's the root, the flower, the stem, whatever it is, and then the dose. And so that you can go look that up and see, is that the efficacious dose? Is that like you can go on examine.com or, you know, on PubMed and, and check out if that's a realistic quality dose. Um, but so many companies do these proprietary blends where they'll, again, have like 15 ingredients, 700 milligrams. Yeah. yeah. And what happens is you can have the first ingredient because it's listed in order of descending mass. Let's say the first ingredient is 699 milligrams of that 700 milligram blend. And then you have 14 other ingredients that are one milligram. Right. So people look on the label and they see, oh, it's got all these ingredients I want. It must be a great product. But meanwhile, it's basically worthless. It has one ingredient yeah. and it's worthless and that's legal to do. So I do not like proprietary blends in anything. Um, I, it's definitely like going back to what I was talking about before, it's common too in the industry to, let's say if it's a ginseng product, maybe it's the correct genus and species, but it's not ginseng root and it's not ginseng standardized to a certain compound like ginsenicide A or something mm -hmm. that costs a lot more money when they, mm -hmm. when you standardize it to a compound, you extract, extract for a certain compound also, um, and when it's not the root, which is the most expensive part, and it's just whole plant, again, you're not getting the benefits of ginseng, but you yeah. can list it as ginseng. So those are yeah. some things to look for. Uh, also, one to look for is just when they make crazy claims, like 880% more testosterone or something <laughs> like that. Um, I don't trust companies that do that. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy to manipulate data points. You could have like um, the placebo versus the uh, experimental group, like where the placebo group had 0.01% change and the experimental group had 0.08% change. Neither is statistically significant, but is there an 800% difference? Like, yeah, like, so it's, that's not, that's not good data. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't trust companies that do that. So those are just some things that you can look out for. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a, definitely like these proprietary blends. Um, you know, the, the companies make their own uh, these blends and they can put whatever they want in there or, or like the quantities of that. And they because it's like a almost like intellectual property, then they're not supposed or they don't need to uh, fully, you know, um, reveal it to how, how, what proportions are there in, in there. So yeah, you can get whatever kind of, uh, whatever kind of uh, proportions, uh, they end up uh, putting there. So yeah, it's a kind of a really sad or if, like if unfortunate. A company, yeah. If a company says that, that's always what they fall back on is, Oh, we want to keep it secret. <laughs> we don't want anyone to know. Yeah. Yeah. You want to keep secret that your testing costs are basically zero because you don't list any of the ingredients and the doses and the, and the actives. And two, you can save tons and tons of money by basically having one active ingredient, but listing 16. Mm. And, but you know, they'll say, Oh, it's because we're, we're trying to keep things secret because our formula is so potent. We don't want people copying us right to that. I would say, if you're going to do that proprietary blend, and that's the truth, show me in a study, get multiple studies. If it's so effective as a finished product that you have to keep it secret, then you should show it in studies. 
And if that proprietary blend does have two human studies that are well uh, constructed and and show that it's efficacious, then great. Then cool. Then that's a great product. But that wouldn't include 99% of companies that are putting proprietary blends out there. Yeah. What would be some good um, things to look out for? Like what would be like a indication of a good product? So, I mean, this is going to sound obvious, but like the companies that have been around a while, like there's Thorn and uh, Metagenics and Designs for Health. And, you know, I like the companies that the clinicians use, like Thorn. Uh, I think they are trusted companies, um, but maybe on like the next tier down that aren't quite as expensive, that don't add in that extra layer for clinicians, maybe the same degree of insane quality control is things like now foods, uh, Carlson's, Barleen's, Jero, uh, Doctor's Best, like those are all solid companies. Again, these companies have been around, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years and they've stood the test of time. They've been through rounds of consumer reports testing, lab door testing, you know, all these third party tests and they've done well. Um, and so I like these trusted brands versus a lot of the stuff that just pops up on Amazon or is in Walmart mm-hmm. uh, that you just you don't know whether you can trust or not. Doesn't mean necessarily they're bad because they're new. That's not necessarily the case. But it's nice to rely upon these trusted brands that have been around a long time. Uh, the next thing I would say is that you can contact the company and get the um, the testing. You can ask for you know, show me the lot testing on this supplement, show me what your quality control looks like. And if they say, uh, you know, we don't have access to that, or, you know, we're not allowed to send that out. That's a red flag. Mm. Um, the next thing that I would look for again, the flip side of proprietary blends is full transparency. So I like that there's, you know, each thing is listed out. And I like when there's only, you know, two, three, four, five ingredients that are put in very consciously where mechanism of action matters. So instead of saying like, I'm going to put in 10 ingredients that all work on blood sugar and someone sees, oh, I've seen that ingredient, that ingredient, this product must be good. With a formulator, they're going to say, this has this mechanism of action. This has this mechanism of action and they're complementary. They're synergistic. So I'm going to put them together. And this is the effective dose of this one. And this is the effective dose of this one. And together, they should actually be better. Right. Um, so it's very conscious and intentful about why you're putting each ingredient in. And I think with some of these products that have tons of ingredients, one, they're not going to have the efficacious amount. And two, there's probably not logic behind each mechanism of action of the ingredients. Hmm. Yeah. So they're just, uh, you know, we're looking at some of the uh, popular trends uh, about a certain uh, effect and then putting like these uh, ingredients in there just because of it's uh, associated with that. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Are there like any, uh, let's say, m- m- which, one, which one of these supplements would be more commonly bad quality, like uh, like a magnesium supplement or uh, which one would be the somewhat more careful ones people have to look out for? I would say herbs, uh, you know, things like magnesium, not so much like where, you know, the cost isn't high to begin with and it's easy to have solid quality control. 
and it's not as easy to fake. Um, it's more straightforward to test. But with herbs, you can have um, DNA issues uh, where it's not actually that herb and it's more difficult and complex to test. There's a lot of times spiking that happens of certain actives, so it tests out a certain way. Like cinnamon can be expensive, but because you test cinnamon for its active polyphenols, sometimes they'll spike it with green tea, which is very cheap, so that it tests high in polyphenols. Mm. So this happens. So especially like your herbs that are like your top 20 selling herbs, like think of things like ginkgo, ginseng, St. John's wort, um, you know, some of these kinds of herbs. Uh, there's a lot of those that are on the market coming from China that are that yeah. are spiked, that are cheap, that are low quality. So you have to do your due diligence and quality control when you're one of these companies. Um, when you're doing sourcing, you do test for DNA, you do test for the active. You might test for glyphosate or irradiation. You want to see the chain of custody, like how it's, you know, come through, like what where it was sourced and then how it was extracted and, and who did that sourcing and then where it was um, where it was extracted and manufactured, you know, all that, all the steps that it goes through. Um, so all of that becomes important. Hmm. Is there like a simple uh, list or like a website that does this, uh, let's say, detective work on these uh, brands or is it just like a wild west that <laughs> anyone can just sell what they want? It's kind of the wild west. There's been some companies that I know of like Labdoor that are that are trying to do that kind of stuff, but it's very hard to get that information. And then you can get into some legal battles when you do. Mm. So obviously, because like some of that information, when construed a certain way, could certainly hurt the sales of a company. Right. So you would get attorneys involved and it does get complicated. So unfortunately the regulations aren't as good as they should be and that's why i say like the companies that are you know that are making 500 million dollars a year and been around 20 plus years they're not going to do stuff like this that could cost them their company yeah, yeah. but a company that's new to amazon <laughs> that's a smaller company they're going to you know potentially cut a lot of corners so that they can have more profit some of it might be intentional and some of it might not be. I mean, sometimes companies don't know what they don't know. Like they're just not as advanced. So they don't know like all the regulations. They're not doing the third party testing. There's something that happens in the industry called dry labbing. And unless you really know about this with good quality control, you might, you might not know that this happens that like, let's say this Chinese ingredient manufacturer, they, it's, the word is dry labbing where they just type up the results and then they send you something that says, yes, it tested out 99.8% pure. And then you just formulate it into your product, assuming that's correct. You don't do any uh, qualification testing on the raw material. And then you don't do any finished goods testing because you don't have that money. You don't want to bother with it, slows you down. And so that product just gets sold. And you, as the owner of that company, think it's got the right amount in it. Why do I need to bother testing it? Right. Because there was dry labbing where somebody just typed up the results instead of actually tested it. Mm. So that's problematic yeah. as well. Yeah. So how did you get uh, basically first involved with this uh, you know, area of research in the first place? What got you into like uh, health or uh, these ingredients? Yeah, yeah. So... I was extremely overweight. Um, 
300 pounds. I'm trying to think of what that is in kilos. Uh, but I was um, morbidly obese. And I ended up um, working out, starting to use some of the supplements. Creatine had just hit the market, protein. And I was getting incredible results, you know, uh, reading all the bodybuilding magazines and books and Mm. Um, and trying all the products, some, <clears throat> some would work, some wouldn't, you know, and, and that frustrated me. Uh, and it also excited me because like creatine was incredible. Protein was incredible, but some of these other supplements that, you know, had big promises, especially in bodybuilding, sports, nutrition, the advertising yeah, yeah. really bad. <laughs> so I believed everything at the beginning and you know, I became like <clears throat> a scientist, really like looking into all these things, researching these things as best as I could, and then becoming an expert for my friends, because I found a lot of people were getting frustrated with some results of some products, and then <clears throat> and loving the results of the other products. And so uh, this became a passion of mine, as I really transformed my body, and I became an expert in this area, answering lots of questions for people on message boards. Uh, I was working at a GNC because I was enjoying it so much. And, and people again, loved uh, coming to me with all these questions. And then I decided to make this a career. So I, I had an undergrad in, in business with marketing and a, a minor in chemistry. And I decided to go get my master's in nutritional biochemistry and, and become a dietitian as well. And my whole goal was to become a supplement formulator. Mm -hmm. And that was the idea. And, and that's what I actually did. Uh, it's so niche. Uh, it's kind of crazy that I ended up doing this, but that's how passionate I was that I, for 10 years, I was, you know, working, helping like do marketing write-ups, answering questions on mm -hmm. message boards for companies. I would show up at these trade shows and help sell products and set up booths. Um, and then I got on formulating for some small companies and then I got on with a big company called Dimatize and I worked with them full time. And then I worked with this company, Biotrust and, uh, worked with them full time as their chief science officer and built out the, a, a lot of aspects of the company and many, many formulations. And since I formulated about 500 products and, and patented tons of ingredients and now I'm, uh, an expert in the area. So it's like, I really manifested my dream of becoming a supplement formulator and it's been pretty cool. Yeah. That's uh, good to hear. Uh, so yeah, like if uh, people are like browsing through some sort of, uh, let's say big supplements, then they more or more than likely they're going to find something that you have, you know, had your hands involved with. <laughs> Definitely that. And that was like one of the most exciting, um, moments in my life when I walked in a GNC, or when I went online to an online store and I saw like five out of the 10 products, you know, on the shelf or on the screen were things I formulated. That's like, it's so cool. Like it's, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. Mm. I'm very proud of that. Have you like, uh, have you managed to put together like some sort of like the best supplements? Like, do you have any ideas of like the miracle supplement that you would like to formulate or have you formulated already? I, I do, but price always becomes an issue or mass. So, I mean, one, that first issue is, is price. It's hard to really go above a certain threshold. Um, I would love it if there was $100 supplements or $150 supplements, but most people will not pay more than $30 to $50 in, in US dollars for a supplement. 
Um, so that's a problem. Like you just can't formulate above a certain cost of raw materials. Uh, the other problem would be uh, mass. So most people will only take two capsules in a serving, maybe four capsules. Uh, and then, and then it starts to drop off. Like you can't, you can't give someone, you know, 10 capsules of, of a product. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so some of my dream formulas, like for me would be, you know, $150 and, you know, 10 capsules, but <laughs> I don't know how many people would buy that, but right. there is a market for it, but it's a very niche one. Gotcha. So, yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, uh, you have to be pretty dedicated to uh, take 10 capsules or <laughs> pay $150 for it. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your book now, uh, The Energy Formula. So uh, how did you start to write about it and uh, what was the reasons? Yeah, so I have spent a lot of my life without much energy. Uh, I have Epstein-Barr virus, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, Hashimoto's, uh, I've had a pituitary adenoma, a brain tumor. Um, I've struggled at many points in my life with energy. Again, I was morbidly obese. I was depressed, uh, had suicidal thoughts. Um, so, you know, being obese, I was insulin resistant. So I've struggled with energy for a lot of my life. And that's why, like, some of my ingredients have really re uh, revolved around energy like T-Crene and Dynamine are energy ingredients that are really caffeine replacements. Uh, and that's why they're super popular. And that led to all the things that I've done, not only with supplements, but diet, with exercise, with routines and growth. Uh, and so all of these things are like, how can I live a life with more energy when I felt so depleted? With Epstein-Barr, I spent six months in bed in pain and inflamed, thinking my life was over and I'd never be able to work or have a normal life. And luckily, I stumbled into keto and paleo and, and doing intermittent fasting and using all these supplements. And, and I got myself uh, in the land of the living again and able to go back to school and finish up my degree and all those things. But for a long time... I thought I was just going to spend my life in pain and in bed. And so this is a lot of that story is all the things that I've learned, not just with supplements, but energy formula is an acronym for experiment, like doing the biohacking, the blood work, looking at your genetics, nutrition. So that's the N. And so I look at keto, paleo, uh, carnivore, vegan. Um, we go through all of those diets. What might be best for you? Uh, Mediterranean, obviously, um, then get into exercise. So that's the second E in energy. Um, and then I look at things like high intensity interval training versus low intensity, steady state cardio, uh, looking at all the hacks that you can do, uh, things like blood flow restriction and intraset stretching and um, what it's like to move your body throughout the day. Um, which is now what they're recommending over just working out for an hour a day and being sedentary. They mm -hmm. want you to do exercise snacks where you right. move every hour. Uh, then the next one is routine. So I look at the R in, in energy. So I look at um, circadian rhythm, that sleep-wake cycle, what it's like to have a good morning routine, how to properly get ready for bed with a sleep fortress and have 
uh, a dialed uh, sleep routine, um, and then getting into growth, the G. So that's like nootropics, you know, brain boosters, um, doing uh, stoicism, which is kind of the obstacle is the way type of thinking, uh, having that resilient mind. Uh, and we also get into fasting in that chapter and really explore that. And then the last one is your tribe. And it's all about community and connection and looking at the data from the blue zones and the legendary Harvard study that shows that the number one predictor of longevity is relationships. So that's something that we discuss in there too. So mm, I think it's yeah. very comprehensive and every chapter, there's a formulators corner that covers all the supplements that make sense with that chapter. So like exercise has like pre-workouts and things like that. And um, growth has nootropics and, um, you know, experiment goes into like all these anti-aging supplements. Um, so that's fun. And then the other thing in the chapter is these resource hacks that I get into, like the devices, the apps, the techniques of different things in each of those chapters that you would want to use or try to help mm -hmm. uh, increase your results. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, you cover, you know, both the physical and the mental side and the, the emotional sides, because yeah, like all those things are very uh, interlinked. And uh, you if you want to have like, yeah, high energy levels would require, you know, all of those things, because you can have like very good fitness and uh, diet and sleep. But if you have like, you know, bad self-talk or negative emotions or things then you may be still you know fatigued and uh, unmotivated whereas if you're even like you can overcome a bad diet and a bad sleep if you're like super motivated uh, mentally or and uh, psychologically so it's a very good to have it all those things uh, optimized uh, because yeah it's like not, not like one uh, single thing that is uh, most most important exactly that's and that's resilience like so both on the, the physical and mental side that's something that i get into is the idea of resilience and being anti-fragile, mm. being harder to kill, yeah. that we used to be much harder to kill because we had a bigger stress bucket. It's called allostatic load in the body. And we had more capacity for stress, both mentally and physically. And so now, because we're temperature controlled every day, because we eat all day every day, because we can't handle stress as well because we're distracted with our phones, that we're easier to kill and our stress bucket, yeah. our allostatic load is much smaller. Yeah. And that's why doing these hormetic stressors, like doing the cold plunge and the, and the red light therapy and the hot sauna and intermittent fasting or extended fasting or keto or some of these things can help positively stress the body to increase our allostatic load, increase our resilience so we are harder to kill. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I do agree that modern modern humans are relatively uh, fragile, which is the opposite of anti-fragile. And uh, we've just gotten so used to this comfort and uh, we don't experience these positive stressors at all. And uh, that's why like all these minor stressors in our everyday life also become like uh, super, let's say, frustrating. Uh, and people freak out about even the smallest of things. Whereas in reality, like the, the problems we most of most people have nowadays are relatively minor compared to the ones you know humans had in the past and like some other people even experience in other parts of the world so yeah it's a very uh, yeah people are just kind of soft <laughs> in general I, and and I think one of the biggest factors in that is is really distraction the degree to which we're distracted with notifications emails apps you know all of these things that are going on in our lives the TikToks and you know we're 
we're so distracted, we're so not present that we become agitated when we try to get pulled away from something. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like you're just never fully present and there. You're never mindful in a conversation. You know, if you watch people in like lots of conversations, they have their phone and they're just like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like if you're at dinner, like how often do you not just put your phone down on the table, but put your phone away and even turn it off and say, I'm going to be present for this conversation. I'm going to be engaged for this conversation. And so, so many of us are so distracted that we become irritated so easy. We become frustrated so easy. We don't have the ability to deal with and process a stressor of any kind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so what would be, uh, let's maybe start with, like what would be some of the main reasons for, let's say, fatigue and uh, low levels of energy? Like what happens on the physiological level? So one, the, one of the ones I just talked about actually requires a lot of brain energy without you ever being very productive. Yeah. Like one of the things, like if you look at Cal Newport's work, uh, it's called uh, Deep Work, um, where he where he recommends that you have two hours a day of completely undistracted work. Two hours. You will get more done in that two hours than the typical eight-hour workday. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's it's true. Like, so if you have no emails coming in, no notifications from your phone, no Facebook, no Instagram, no TikTok, no nothing, and you are just doing deep work for two hours, you will be way more productive. But if we spend the whole day what we call multitasking, which is a lie because it's actually called task switching, because we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it takes two to five minutes to get refocused on the other thing that we're never really that effective. We're constantly distracted, but we're constantly using brain energy. And so like you're actually depleting your brain and you're using up a lot of these neurotransmitters as well, like dopamine, because you're dopamine addicted, but you're also using up brain glucose. And so like energetically, when you're distracted the whole day, you're exhausted the whole day. It's exhausting to do this. And so that's, that's a big one. And obviously another one is not getting enough sleep. We are the only species that deprives ourselves of sleep intentionally because we'll stay up and watch TV. We'll stay out and party. We'll do these things when we're tired and not just go to sleep when we're tired. Other species, unless their life is in danger, go to sleep when they're tired. And so it might be all right to do on occasion. I mean, obviously, like we all want to do something like New Year's or, you know, whatever. But to chronically do this Mm -hmm. is obviously not healthy and it's not good for your circadian rhythm. They've shown with people that work the night shift that they live 30 percent shorter lives. Mm. So think about what that is doing to your circadian rhythm. We're not nocturnal animals. We're meant when it's dark out to be sleepy and go to sleep. But we're looking at so many blue light devices, one with like TVs, um, cell phones, tablets, computers, whatever, that we're getting a lot of blue light and we're blocking melatonin's release when it's dark. Plus, we just have lights on in our house. 
And then plus we're also stimulating ourselves in the evening with violence and sex and all and arguments and you know whereas like typically in history you know that would be the time that there wouldn't be much to do you would put your children to bed maybe and you know and just clean up some dishes right. and you go to bed you know at 8 p.m or or 9 p.m like you wouldn't be up all night like watching baseball or <laughs> or whatever sport soccer or you know watching game of thrones or you know, doing all these things and we're at a bar, you know, all night. Um, there's actually um, something that's called social jet lag, where when people on the weekends, when they're, you know, up later, hanging out, doing fun things, partying, whatever it is, when you're up two, three, four hours later, then you usually go to bed during the week. That's called social jet lag. It's like you traveling to uh, several time zones over and then coming back and then expecting Monday morning for you to feel okay. Mm -hmm. But your body is not feeling okay. It's like your body traveled several countries over, and now you're telling it, like, well, let's go back to our normal schedule. And that yeah. doesn't work that well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is true that just people are living the kind of fast lifestyle and not like, giving their body enough time to recover, and that just eventually catches up on them. And, uh, you know, they're, they don't get, like, the adequate nutrients required to produce energy. And uh, yeah, like the just the lifestyle isn't uh, so it's not, it's not inducive of uh, having higher level of, of levels of energy. Uh, so, what you you also talk a lot about the mitochondria. So, how would uh, mitochondria fit into this? Yeah, so I mean, for most people, uh, they know that mitochondria are the the energy powerhouse in the cell. You know, it's like the little factory that's producing the energy currency for the body, right? The ATP, adenosine triphosphate. And that literally is how your body runs. And so we need that energy currency, these um, high energy phosphates that come from adenosine triphosphate. And so mitochondria becomes the most critical, to me, the most critical component of the body for energy and for aging. And that's why we're hearing so much about mitohormesis, like those stressors that actually stress the mitochondria and make it function better because mitochondrial dysfunction means you're not producing as much energy. So not only is mitochondrial dysfunction an issue, but also too few mitochondria is an issue. Mm -hmm. So that's why not only is mitohormesis important uh, to uh, potentially uh, stimulate the mitochondria to uh, make it more functional, also protecting the mitochondria, but then there's mitoautophagy, where it's cleaning out the mitochondria and making it healthier. And then again, mitochondrial biogenesis, where you're making more mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things become important in aging and for energy. So these are things that I explore in the book is like, what are some ingredients or diets or behaviors that can make our mitochondria function better so that we have more energy? And what can we do to get more mitochondria? Yeah. What will be some examples of those uh, ways of making the mitochondria better? So it's probably not surprising. I mean, it's the things that actually are healthy, healthy for you is going to be paleo, keto, intermittent and extended fasting, uh, getting more sleep, avoiding alcohol, um, you know, doing breath work and meditation. Um, but there are some, you know, supplements 
uh, exercise, obviously, especially high intensity interval training uh, is probably the, the most potent for a lot of those, by the way. And when you're when you're when you're exercising near your limits, which is what happens with high intensity interval training, that's when great adaptation happens. And that makes sense. Your body's like, this is too difficult. How, what do we do here? We need to adapt and get stronger, get better, have more reserves. When you're doing typical cardio, you're burning calories and moving your body, which is great, but you're not creating a lot of adaptation. When you just jog or when you do like a light workout at the gym, you're not getting adaptation. When you're sprinting repeatedly, that's where adaptation happens. We're doing CrossFit style training, uh, metabolic conditioning, that's where adaptation happens. When you're doing powerlifting, that's where adaptation, when you're training near a threshold, of endurance or strength, that's when adaptation happens. So that's when a lot of these mechanisms like uh, are upregulated. Right. And so like, uh, there's a lot of ingredients that I go through in the book that can help with mitochondrial health as well. And that's where I focused on on some of my some of my careers is, is these anti aging ingredients, particularly with with mitochondria. Hmm. Is there like a difference, let's say, between someone who is uh, in this slump of, uh, you know, chronic fatigue and someone who is, you know, re already living the healthy lifestyle? Uh, for, is there like a different approach in terms of exercise and fasting uh, between this uh, person who is like already fatigued versus not? Uh, like, should they maybe take it slower at first? Because, you know, chronic exercise can also be uh, a sink for energy and you can actually deplete your uh, energy reserves by being like too vigorous or too intense all the time. That's that's exactly right. So that's something that I that I cover in the book that something we were talking about allostatic load and stressors and and positive stress, right? There's there's a bell curve, if you can imagine that where on one side of the bell curve, the left hand side, it's called eustress, EU stress, where it's a positive stress. Then there, in the middle of that bell curve, there's the sweet spot called the Goldilocks zone, where that's the perfect amount of stress for the perfect amount of adaptation. And then on the right-hand side of that bell curve is going to be distress, where something is counterproductive. And even things that we think of as positive hormetic stressors or eustresses can become distresses depending on the size of that bucket. Mm. So mm. When, the, when, when we're overflowing with that bucket, even things like red light therapy and exercise and fasting and keto and you know these different things that we know are good stressors potentially they can become distress so that's the you know the point that you're making that yes you need to like listen to your body uh, a great way to do that would be to track hrv with some of these wearables like the garmin phoenix or the aura ring or the biostrap uh, some of those kinds of things where you can see like what's my readiness What's mm -hmm. my recovery to go train again or take on some of these stressors? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so yeah, like some people, uh, <laughs> although like the average person may be like understimulated in terms of stress, there's definitely like some people who are let's say too enthusiastic about this and they can just uh, run themselves to the uh, dirt too much. So there's always like yeah, the individual uh, or who am I speaking to and what kind of situation are they uh, in at the moment? Yeah, exactly. And I, and I just thought of like one thing I, I forgot to mention that's a cool hack that I mentioned in the book that going back to sleep and recovery, 
is that most people are mouth breathers. Mm, yeah. And mouth breathing is meant to be a backup system. In our body, we have lots of backup systems to keep us alive, but it's meant to be a backup system. You do not have the filtration, the moisturizing or hydrating of the air that happens nasally. You don't have the temperature, uh, correct temperature changes that happen when you breathe nasally. Um, and there's literally particulate filtration. There's a lot of things that are happening that are optimizing the, the oxygen advantage that happens when you breathe nasally. And so a lot of us, especially at night, breathe through our mouth. And so we're not optimizing oxygen and therefore not having optimal recovery. But even worse is a lot of people are apneic, meaning they snore, they might gag, they might not, uh, they might go too long a period between breaths where you, <laughs> you know, like people like, it's not even like, like rhythmic snoring. It's, it's gagging for air mm. uh, because the airways are somewhat obstructed. And so this is terrible. Obviously you need a sleep study. You need to see a doctor. You might get what's called a CPAP or an oral device from a dentist that can help open those airways. But so many of us may not be quite to that level, but are not getting enough quality oxygen at night and therefore not recovering as well as yeah. we should and therefore have a depressed HRV. And it's putting us in a, a more of a sympathetic nervous system state. We're more in fight or flight during the night when we should be in parasympathetic because the body's trying to get enough energy and survive and it shouldn't be using cortisol all night and epinephrine and trying to help you uh, survive in, in this lack of oxygen. Yeah. And so doing something as simple as taping your mouth is one of the best hacks that I know of. It may not be comfortable. It may be hard because you want to talk to your significant other in bed with you, like right before you go to bed or, you know, whatever it is, but look into uh, taping the mouth, mouth strips um, to, to go to sleep with, and you'll find you have much better uh, recovery at night. You'll have much better HRV. You'll feel more rested. Uh, it's an incredible hack for me that's, that's amazing, especially if a lot of this stuff is exacerbated when you drink alcohol. Hmm. Uh, so if you have had a night drinking, I would say this is especially important. That's why you feel like very uh, exhausted and, and your REM sleep isn't very good when, you, when you've been drinking. Doing the mouth taping can help a lot in terms of your recovery from a night of drinking. Obviously, yeah. it'd be better to not drink, but um, you know that can be a hack to help. And then I'd also say another time that we end up being uh, overly mouth breathers is exercise. Mm -hmm. And it might be weird to be at the gym with some mouth tape. But if you train out in your yard or if you go hiking or if you work out at your house, try some mouth tape and get used to when you're um, really trying to recover oxygen um, and, and recover between bouts of a workout to become a nasal breather. And in time, you won't need the mouth tape, but it's just in training your body to, to use what it's meant to use, the nose. Yeah. Yeah, that's a important point, and they're like 
if your sleep is bad, then uh, none of the exercise and none of the diets are going to be working optimally. So you're always going to be catching up and uh, you're still uh, underperforming because of that. So yeah, sleep is probably one of the most important things uh, for just overall uh, recovery and uh, general health as well. Definitely. Uh, you uh, talk about NAD as well in the book. And so, you know, NAD is, it's a very, like a very common uh, coenzyme in the body, but it's also involved with energy production a lot. So uh, how, how can that maybe help with uh, fatigue or energy production? Yeah, we're finding that, I mean, one, NAD gets used to activate the sirtuin genes, which are associated, the cert genes are associated with, with anti-aging. Actually, that toughness that we're talking about, that resilience, the more that we do these hormetic stressors, the more we're activating these sirtuin genes. Um, and these sirtuin genes, the more they're activated, the longer we live, the more tough we are. Uh, also, it's associated with telomere length. So, you know, the longer your telomeres, the longer you live and the faster they're shortening, the shorter you're going to live. So that's something to be aware of. And then you're right, like NAD is a big part of the citric acid cycle or it used to be called the Krebs cycle. It's like kind of the last stop in that ATP production of NAD going to NADH. The more we can stack uh, what's happening in the mitochondria with NAD uh, in that NAD to NADH ratio, the more um, energy productive we are. So one of the things that you can do is find ways to boost NAD because as we age, NAD production declines. Even worse, as we age, NAD catabolism, meaning how quickly it's broken down, increases. So it's a double whammy where we're making less and we're breaking it down faster. Hmm. So it's important as we age to find ways to boost NAD. So there's IV NAD, which is probably the best, but you can sit there for about three or four hours and feel nauseous. It's not, that part isn't great. <laughs> uh, and you might even get some tingling from kind of the niacin paresthesis effect. Uh, but often you'll feel like nauseous. There's, you have to slow the rate of the NAD coming in by IV. And so that's why it takes three or four hours. So it's not quick. And there's newer data that's coming out more on a case study level that would say that doing it repeatedly is where you're going to see the benefits. Like if you're trying to solve something like um, disease wise or autoimmune wise, that you might need to do it for five straight days. Or if you're doing it once a week to do it for eight straight weeks or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, that would be effective. But for energy yeah. and anti-aging purposes in general, there are supplements that you can use. Uh, there's one from Chromadex called True Niagen NR Nicotinamide Riboside. I am not a big fan of that one. It has the most press. It has the most scientists backing it, but a lot of that's paid scientists. And the data is not very good. The one right. I like is called NMN, Nicotinamide Mononucleotide. Um, and that's the one that Dr. Rhonda Patrick, uh, Dr. Peter Atia, Dr. David Sinclair, they all back. And the research I've seen seems much better. Uh, the doses would be like one to two grams, which is a lot higher than what most people are using. But if you extrapolate out with like body surface area and animal data, that's kind of the optimal dose per day. Yeah. And then there's some other things that you can do to uh, also support that. 
and that would be looking uh, particularly at polyphenols. So polyphenols are almost always associated with anti-aging. If you look at pterostilbene from blueberries, uh, red, resveratrol from red wine, you've probably heard a lot about, uh, quercetin from onions and apples, um, EGCG from green tea. Like a lot of these compounds are associated with anti-aging and now we're discovering why, because some of them support NAD production and some of them are inhibiting CD38, the enzyme mm. also yeah. called NADase, that breaks down NAD. So if we can find ways to, one, make more NAD through NMN, make support that NAD through a polyphenol, and then reduce the breakdown of NAD through another polyphenol, that's optimal. Yeah. And so what's cool is quercetin actually works on both. It works on producing more NAD and protecting NAD with the CD38 inhibition. I would get like a um, optimized quercetin because it has very low bioavailability, so you can get liposomal quercetin. Also, there's some lesser known ones that may be more potent that I've been studying, uh, like um, fisetin is probably, it's from strawberries, fisetin is probably the most potent one I've seen at producing NAD and, and being anti-aging. And then there's an interesting one called apigenin from parsley that is uh, also inhibiting CD38, maybe the most potently. So mm -hmm. those are some really cool ingredients that can make like a, a potent anti-aging combo. And then especially if you add in some mitochondrial health ingredients like PQQ and CoQ10 for the electron transport chain. Uh, those are big ones. And then uh, there's an ingredient called ergothionine that literally is an antioxidant that protects the mitochondria itself. Mm -hmm. so, so those are some of the most important uh, mitochondrial health ingredients that I know of. Mm. Yeah, those are some good, uh, good ingredients. And uh, yeah, I'm also a big fan of these polyphenols and uh, the different sirtuin activating uh, compounds. Uh, but you know, NAD itself, um, your body produces most of it uh, from uh, like tryptophan and niacin. So you have also have a good diet that uh, includes vitamin B3 and basically, you know, animal protein tends to be the best source of uh, tryptophan and niacin. Uh, but but next to that, like uh, the dietary NAD production is relatively low compared to the amount of NAD that gets re recycled on a daily basis. Like I think up to 80% is recycled through the uh, NAD resalvage pathway. And uh, the funny thing about that is that that NAD resalvage pathway is dependent on, on uh, AMPK. And AMPK is basically activated by all these hormetic stressors like exercise, fasting, and ketosis, and saunas and cold. So yeah, like part of the reason why maybe people have like low energy is because they're not recycling enough of the NAD by not experiencing enough of the AMPK activation. So yeah, doing these, uh, all these positive stressors is uh, probably also like, the central to just having uh, high NAD levels uh, as you get older. It's so good that you mentioned that because probably my favorite ingredient and in what I'm known for is an AMP, uh, AMPK activator, AMP kinase, hmm. uh, and that's uh, dihydroberberine. Originally, it was berberine was, was where a lot of my research was. Um, it's similar to the drug metformin, but berberine, the natural uh, equivalent, has actually been shown to be superior to metformin. Oh, wow. And then I looked into what the active metabolite of berberine was that at the gut level, berberine converts to dihydroberberine. Mm -hmm. And so it's about five to 10 times more bioavailable and lasts about twice as long in the plasma. 
So you have to take much lower doses. You don't have the GI distress and you have to take it with less frequency because it lasts so much longer. And what we're seeing is it potently, it's a potent glucose disposal agent. So it's lowering mm -hmm. blood glucose, it's improving ketone levels, uh, it's improving insulin sensitivity, uh, it's lowering inflammation and dyslipidemia. So it's improving CRP and hemoglobin A1C. And it's it's really the most, and it's lowering glycation, which so it means that's that's lowering advanced glycation end products, ages. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the most potent anti-aging compound I know of, dihydroberberine. I mean, essentially, it's five to ten times more powerful than the drug that's been used for 20 years for anti-aging. Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely one that's, and the main mechanism by which it works is AMP kinase. Nice. So, and and some people have like purported that berberine is somehow counterproductive to the mitochondria and it actually is a little bit like you're saying because it's an amp k activator it's a hormetic stress to the mitochondria but at the doses we recommend it's a it's a use stress it's a positive stress yeah. to that mitochondria creating better mitochondria function creating more mitochondrial biogenesis mm -hmm. so that's where it's beneficial on a number of levels this compound is really potently anti-aging. Yeah, yeah. I also like uh, berberine, but uh, I haven't used it, the the one that you mentioned. So, is there like any brands that have it, uh, or uh, where can people find it? Yeah, uh, and it's something. Just full disclosure, I've been involved in patenting because I was so passionate about berberine. Uh, it's it's under the branded name Glucovantage. Uh, that's the trade name for the ingredient. And then that's in several products, in probably 10 or 15 products now, uh, literally just got introduced to the market. Um, you know, I don't know internationally all the products that would have it, but um, like one of the ones that I've used uh, is called Genius Blood Sugar uh, from Genius Brands. And it has cinnamon and dihydroberberine and, and it's a great ingredient. Awesome. Yeah. We'll have to check it out then. Um, what about uh, let's talk about maybe last about the mindset thing like how how does that let's say affect your energy levels Wait, what thing mindset and uh, psychology and uh, stuff oh mindset uh yeah. psychology yeah okay yeah that's huge 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 and again that, that goes back to like that growth chapter that i was talking about with the obstacles the way the stoic thinking um where you are resilient in your mindset and instead of wishing for a shortcut around the obstacle, instead of wishing there was no obstacle, you have to get to the point where you cherish the obstacle, much like working out at the gym or saying, I'm not going to eat despite that there's food here right now. You know, I'm going to fast. You know, there's discipline involved in this, but you end up finding just like when you do extended fasting, it's difficult, but you end up finding your strength. Mm, yeah. You end up finding your your ability to say no to other things in your life. It's not just fasting and it's not just improving blood sugar and autophagy. It's it's willpower and it has dramatic impacts on your life. And that's why this mindset is so critical um, to to enjoying life. You know, one of the first things I do when I wake up in the morning is I do a little bit of breath work, then I do gratitude. And I say all the things I'm thankful for. And then I go into affirmations, 
so I can hear my own voice saying the things I want to manifest, saying things that I think I am. So I am beautiful. I am happy. I am successful. I am healthy. I am going to make an impact today. I am going to meet someone and change their lives. You know, like I'm going to be happy today. Today's a great day. Because if anyone talked to you like you talked to you, you wouldn't be their friend. So you have to change that inner voice from the inner critic to the inner champion. And that's when you start winning. That's when everything changes. And you have to learn to say no, because one of the best forms of self-love is saying, no, that does not work for me. I do not want that. That's yeah. where we get into so many issues in our life is, is that we don't set boundaries. We don't set boundaries well, and then we resent it. We get frustrated. We get angry, but it's because we didn't speak up. So one of the best forms of you telling your body, body, I love you. Mind, I love you. And I'm going to show you that by protecting you, by saying no. That's not for me. I don't want that. I don't want to be involved in that. I don't want to go there. You know, whatever it is. So those are like, that's powerful. Those things, those are definitely things that I explore in the book. And uh, to your point can transform your health. I mean, when you're, when you're resilient in your mind, when you know what it is you want, when you have clear purpose and you know your why in life. I mean, there's a great book by Simon Sinek, Start With Your Why. Like, why is it you're doing what you're doing? Like, I know my passion. I'm doing what it is I want to be doing. Are you doing what you're doing, like, supposed to be doing? Are you living your passion? It doesn't mean that everyone's going to get to do that for their full-time job, but are you exploring ways to chase your passion, chase the things that light you up? Mm. That's important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty big thing. And if you are enjoying what you're doing, then... Um... Like it doesn't feel stressful and it doesn't feel that you're tired either. Like you can go, you can like, you know, probably you and I, we can probably work on the things that we like for days uh, and without getting like, you know, fatigued and tired. Exactly. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good point to start wrapping things up as well. So um, before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and your, your uh, book? Yeah. So energyformula.com has all the information. I have a bunch of free extra bonuses that you get uh, once you bought the book and, and you go through the site, energyformula.com. You'll also get a fasting for energy guide. You get a hidden chapter on natural ancestral movement. Uh, you get some Q&A videos. You get uh, some recipe books. You get like uh, all the product links that are mentioned in the book, all kinds of cool bonuses. Um, and it's available as an ebook, a hardcover, those are full color. Every single page has color. So this is a really high-end book. Uh, it's more like a textbook. There's like over 60 diagrams in there. It's loaded with stuff, over 100 scientific citations. And then I also did an audible with my voice. Uh, so that's available as well. Uh, and then you can follow me on Instagram, at Sean Wells. And uh, I also have a site, uh, SeanWells.com, that has a lot more information and guides and scientific stuff and anti-aging stuff as well seanwells.com so s-h-a-w-n-w-e-l-l-s and yeah that's it so thank you so much for having me on i appreciate it it was fun
Yeah, of, of course. And uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes. And my last question is, uh, what's this uh, one piece of advice or a habit that you wish you adopted sooner? Hmm. Wow. I think the one, the one piece of advice for me would have been granting myself grace. Like that sounds very simple, but I have been so hard on myself most of my life. Um, you know, really because I was, I had a difficult childhood. And, um, so I was someone that was very achievement driven. And I think you'll see this a lot in biohacking, uh, mm. where I needed more credentials. I needed to be in the bigger and better rooms. I needed to do all these things to prove to myself that I was good enough. And I don't think I was taking enough appreciation of what I had accomplished of what was around me already. I was always trying to get to the next level and the next level and the next level. And it was never good enough. And so granting myself grace to make mistakes, because that's key to being resilient is that right. you can explore, you can be creative and you're going to make tons of mistakes because that's what winners do. Cause winners are trying, winners are exploring and they're going to make mistakes when you're, when you're doing things that no one else is doing or you're doing and you're exploring the best ways to do things, you're going to make tons of mistakes. So that's important to allow yourself that, but also to love yourself in the process and enjoy the life that you're living. And so I wasn't enjoying the life I was living because I was living in the future. I wasn't loving myself at all. And I was just, just constantly pushing and giving myself no room to make mistakes. I was just brutal on myself. And so again, like, if anyone talked to me like I talked to me, I shouldn't be their friend. But that was the voice I was hearing all the time was this this inner critic that was just beating myself right. down relentlessly. So hmm. I think to me, that's been the biggest change. And that's where plant medicine has been massive for me, making huge shifts with psilocybin, MDMA, uh, these compounds have really shifted my heart and how I see myself and have allowed me to have more grace. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good advice and uh, yeah like if you're hating yourself if you feel then uh, self-sabotaging then yeah you're never gonna be as say fully liberated and they're never gonna you're not you're, you're, at least you're not, you're not gonna be happy if you're just uh, hating the process all the time yeah exactly well thank you thank you so much for having me on i appreciate it and yeah. uh and i'm here for anyone that has questions you can always dm me on instagram and and i'll answer any questions from this podcast for sure Awesome. Yeah. Well, it was fun talking with you and yeah, we should do it another time in the future. I would love that. Thank you so much, Sam. Have a great day. You too. All right. That's it for this episode. If you want to support us, then leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can also share it with a friend. If you want to learn more about the topics that we discussed in this episode, then check out my new book, Stronger by Stress. But on that, thanks for listening to this episode. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.